I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What you are about to hear is a work of investigative journalism that explores one woman's search for answers in her son's death. The views and opinions in this podcast do not reflect those of iHeartMedia. Previously on Somebody. The first car that we thought were the police, that was not Courtney's vehicle in the lead. And they found some new evidence that said that it may have happened the way uh, the police stated the metaphor of walking back an assumption feels exactly right. You're really trying to reorient and reboot really the entire investigation. Every part of me wants to believe that my son could have survived. Every part of me. It looks like they are handcuffing a suspect to bring him in for an arrest. My name is Shapiro Wells. This is a story of my son, Courtney, a young black man in a fancy car who wound up with a bullet in his back in front of a Chicago police station. And it's the story of my search for the truth. This is Somebody. Everybody, somebody's every day. Nobody's nothing. Oh, nobody. That's right. This is a video of Courtney sleeping. Babe, still want to go out? It's taken a few years ago by his girlfriend at the time, Rocio. Babe. Babe, you still want to go out? Turn up. Turn up. <sighs> Rocio and Courtney. They were one of those on again, off again couples, but everyone knew that Rocio was the love of his life. She always felt like a daughter to me, and still does. Can you show us your tattoo? This is it. But it's um, actually Courtney's name and the date we started officially dating. Um, it's kind of funny. It was 11, 12, 13. 
I made him wait a day to ask me out the next day so it could be 11, 12, 13. <laughs> Courtney was very caring. And for Rocio, she received all of that. He'd make her breakfast. He'd pack her lunch. He even sometimes he'd watch her niece for her. He's like, oh, this is a kid I'm taking to school and I'm babysitting her. And I'm like, you're doing what? Yeah, he, he just loved kids. Rosia and Courtney joined World Ventures at the same time. She also got a BMW as a sales reward. Courtney's was maroon and Rocio's was champagne. I'm kind of competitive, so as soon as Courtney pulled it out, I was like, I have to go get mine too. <laughs> but at World uh, Ventures, Courtney had a lot of other female co-workers. You know, Courtney really loved women. That's Marilyn. She worked with Courtney. She saw all the drama around him. There was always an, an incident with, with something like, oh, you know, you're flirting with this girl or you're talking to this girl. We can't be playing games and having, like, all these different, like, you know, girls that you're talking to, like, we're here to run a business. When I think about all these other women that it seems that he had a relationship with, they were, to me, just filling the gap. Here I am talking to Allison from the Invisible Institute about all of this. I knew Courtney had a lot of little girlfriends, but what I didn't know is that his love life was getting in the way of his job. I found this recording of Courtney sure talking about his setbacks at work. My life. And the thing about me is that, you know, it looks good on the outside, but sometimes it can be bad behind closed doors and you know, and that's, that's, that's the obstacles that you're going to have to go through. You're going to have to be able to take a punch. In 2015, Courtney's boss sat him down more than once and told him he needed to stop dating people from World Ventures. They even removed him from the leadership team. But Courtney started seeing another co-worker anyway, so they had to keep it a secret. Her name was Alma. And the night he was killed, Courtney was on his way to her house. When word got out that Courtney was shot, all of his friends start calling each other. They were trying to figure out who Courtney was going to see at that hour. Eventually, they landed on Alma. A lot of people were very, very upset with her. Courtney's co-worker, Marilyn, again. Because first of all, we had no idea, like, no idea that, you know, they were even, like, talking or messing around or anything. She lives in a really rough neighborhood. Maybe an ex-boyfriend saw something and got upset that Courtney was there. Like, you know, so many things ran through our head. And, of course, the first thing to do is blame her because why were you even there? A few hours after Courtney died, the police went to see Alma, and they drove her to the hospital. Lots of Courtney's friends were there. Courtney's friends were grilling Alma for information. She told them that she didn't hear anything. She didn't see anything. Just that Courtney had texted her saying he was outside her house. And then he never showed up. been romantically involved. I feel like people do that to women, you know? You could see the pain on her face that she felt some sort of guilt. And I told her at that, that very day, you can't feel guilty. Courtney, Courtney, ultimately, Courtney made the choice. He, he unfortunately made a choice that was deadly for him. The more I learned about Alma, the more I understood this wasn't just a hookup situation. It was starting to get serious, and he was trying to bond with her kids, and he was over there three, four nights a week. It had been more than a year since my last meeting with police, and their latest case update in Courtney's file just stated that they had 
no updates. I needed to know who shot my son, and clearly the police weren't going to be any help. So Allison and I, we went on without them. We kept going through Courtney's phone, trying to understand not only who he was talking to, but what was going on in his life and the exact timing of his interactions that last night. We got help from this digital forensic expert, Dr. Ashley Podrosky, who volunteered her time to go through Courtney's phone. Hi, Allison. Hi, Ashley. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thanks. She has these tools to scrape every bit of information off the phone and organize it so we can find any clues that were there. So I'm actually sending you something right now. Um, She got an email from Dropbox. I did. Um, She's based in South Dakota, so we had to send her Courtney's phone. I was nervous that the phone could get lost because, you know, that was all that I had of him. And it was evidence, so I was just nervous of it leaving my presence. These are precious things to me. It was about a week and a half when we received the phone back. It came back safe and sound, thank God. Plus, it came back with a detailed log of all Courtney's calls, texts, with timestamps as accurate as they can get. I combed through them with my family. When did he make the 911 call? At 116.53. So from 111, it have to be about 112 now. After this, okay, I'm going. We were looking for signs that Courtney was in trouble, that something was going on. But we didn't see anything. The only thing that we found was him goofing off with his friends and also singing and dancing and making videos. Then we looked at the day he was killed. I wanted to see exactly when Courtney and Alma were in touch. He sent her a text saying, Top of the morning, at 9.38 a.m. She rode back a few hours later, and then they were texting all afternoon. Lots of heart emojis. He messaged her again about 10 p.m. from a World Ventures presentation. He was in the city training a new recruit, KC. Everybody was really happy. Like um, By the end of the night, we ended up uh, listening to music, and he was uh, rapping, which was really cool. I found a photo um, of Courtney circled up around a kitchen table with some friend. He's wearing his favorite red hoodie, and everyone is holding Dixie cups. Courtney is doing a hand gesture, and basically it's the rock-on sign. Courtney was always doing the rock-on sign in pictures. Rock-on, dude, you know. (laughs) Right about midnight, Courtney texts Alma, saying, I need to book a massage. Super sore. Then Alma texts him back, I got you. Courtney says, when? And she wrote, today. Then, just before one in the morning, Courtney headed to her house in Belmont Cragen. On the way there, Courtney was just being his social butterfly self. He was on his phone, he was talking to friends, and chatting on Facebook Messenger. He texts Alma, I'm outside. She texts back, what, really? And he was like, yep. Okay, I'm going, she said, meaning that she was headed downstairs to open the gate. From the phone records and parking tickets that we found, we know that Courtney and Alma had this little routine. He'd drive down her street, cut through the alley, and park by the church where he could leave his car overnight right by this gold statue of Jesus, arms open wide. Courtney would text Alma saying he'd arrive, so she'd go downstairs and open the gate for him. They did this several nights a week, over and over again. Alley, Park, Alma. Alley, Park, Alma. And that night, on March 4th, 2016, Courtney sent his last text to Alma at 1.11 in the morning. But he never showed up at her door. I've been uh, living and ministering here for 19 years already. This is Father Richard Ballas. 
He's a Catholic priest at the church on the corner, St. Stanislaus, bishop and martyr. Father Ballas lives on the second floor of the church rectory. I know there was a shooting over here, right in front of the rectory, between the, the two streets there. I remember that, and they put flowers there, and but I don't remember the name. I'm probably numb to a lot of this. And what about that police station right there? Do you have any interaction with the police there ever? Or? Well, uh, yeah, uh, the um, the policeman very uh, good to us. Uh, we used to have uh, a parish carnivals every year, and of course, uh, for security, we had the police uh, at that. Uh, the previous pastor stopped it because of gangs. The gangs. In Belmont Cragen, it feels safe during the day. There's parks and schools, but at night, it's a different story. I had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight cameras. This is Jerry Brito. He's a mechanic who's lived in Belmont Cragen for 25 years, down the street from the church where Courtney used to park to go to Alma's. Jerry's put up cameras all over his property. He says some years are quiet, some years are really rough. Like uh, when someone moves out and some other people move in and they start selling drugs or they have people that are joining gangs and they bring the gangs over. In Belmont Cragen, the gangs are mostly Hispanic. You've got the Stylers, the Royals, and the Pachucos. Then there's the Four Corner Hustlers, a black gang. They've all got their territories. Jerry says the police come to his house all the time to pull his camera footage because the city's cameras don't always work. They even got his videos for Courtney's case. They're always respectful, and they try to do the best they can with what they have. And when the city's cameras don't work, the gangbangers know it. If they've been shooting, they know that they can get away with it because the camera is not working. That's a problem, if you ask me. He's right. Broken cameras are a serious problem around Chicago. Citizens pay for them to help solve crimes, but often they don't work. Like the camera on the corner by Alma's place. The most critical camera. Courtney's police file says that camera didn't capture anything because of a DVR error. Chaprol and I have gone over this quite a lot. She's still suspicious. It just tells me, like, this whole pod cameras and all these things. I just don't trust it. That camera would have shown Courtney going down that street and turning into the alleyway. We've gone out to the neighborhood several times to track down other cameras to see if police missed any. Did they get this one? I wonder if they got that. That has a yeah, so they have cameras, too. I don't know if they got that address. We did find cameras that were not noted in their reports, but it's possible they were put up after Courtney's death. So we didn't have any footage, but we knew there had to be more information out there. I believe that somebody knows something. Somebody saw something. And it just takes a lot of courage um, from somebody to tell what they saw. The police file on Courtney's case was thin. They only documented interviews with a handful of people. So we decided to go back and re-interview everyone the detectives talked to. That meant it was time to talk to Alma, Courtney's secret girlfriend. Alma and I haven't really been in touch, but now Allison really wanted to talk to her. So almost two years after Courtney's death, I text Alma to see if she would meet with us. As I was texting her back and forth, Alma mentioned something. Something that she never told me before. And I think it's totally crazy that she would withhold this information. She said she heard gunshots the night Courtney died. I asked her that question the day after Courtney was killed, I asked her, did she hear anything? Did she see anything? And this girl never once told me that she heard gunshots the night that he died. Hi there. You're Alma? Yes. Hi, I'm Allison. Very nice to meet you. Thank you for setting aside the time. 
This is Bill. In February of 2018, I arranged a meeting. We met up with her on the north side of Chicago, in Uptown, where Alma works at a cell phone shop. I remember it was freezing outside. So we used a conference room in a lawyer's office nearby. Really right yeah, we're, yeah, I know you were probably like, oh, I don't want to go out in the cold. Now we're <laughs> literally right around the corner. I sat next to Alma. Bill and Allison sat across the table. All the microphones and the fact that we were in a law office made it feel sort of like an interrogation. And Alma, she definitely looked tense. The way she was sitting, it was like she was protecting herself. I was just praying that she would finally tell us everything she knew. I was just ready to put myself in her train of thought and let her tell her story. Alma played us some videos of Courtney when we first sat down. This is like one of those good morning videos, like he was awake. What was everybody else doing? him and he was always trying to make me laugh because I was always really serious. I was him all the time. He would say, te gusta or no te gusta? Let's get it. Did the people you work with know that you guys were romantically involved? No. Okay, so it was sort of on the down low? Yes. Okay. How did you feel about that? Um, I was fine with that. It was, um, <laughs> it was a little bit complicated just because of the way that our team is set up. Uh, They've been keeping their relationship a secret for months. But Courtney had become close with her three kids. Well, I told my son that Courtney passed, and he asked me what happened. And I told him that he was shot. And um, he just started crying. Did he ask a lot of questions? Um, no. Uh, after that, he just he didn't want to be outside. He would always tell me we had to hurry up. Do you sense that the kids are still afraid? For a long time they were. Like, coming home from school, my son would say, we have to hurry up because I don't want to die. We went back to that night. We asked Alma to walk us through what she remembered. Um, He messaged me, like, around, like, close to one in the morning. And then... uh, He asked me if I was home, if he could come over. She said she was in her room, listening to music on her headphones, and her roommate Brianna came in to tell her that she was making a late-night run to Walgreens. As she was telling me that, we heard two gunshots and a car drive off. And was that before or after you'd gone downstairs uh, to be ready to open the door? No, that was before. We heard the gunshots as I was receiving the text message that he was there. Okay. So the text message came in, and th- we heard the gunshots at the same time. She went downstairs to open the said, gate as usual, said, but Courtney wasn't there. Did you, what did you think happened at that point in time? I mean, I was a little bit worried, but it's not, it's not unlike him to change plans quickly. Alma um, says she heard gunshots right as she got Courtney's text saying, I'm outside. It was 1.11 a.m. But that just didn't make sense to us. Because we knew that four minutes after Courtney texted Alma, he was still alive and well. He was messing around on his phone, Facebook messaging his friend Brandon, who had just gotten a new job. Courtney wrote to Brandon, nice bro, you're going to kill it, man. Courtney sent that text message to Brandon at 1.15 a.m. That was four minutes after he texted Alma. And the forensic expert confirmed those times. Allison showed Alma the timeline we'd put together. So we had... At 1.15? hmm If you're hearing the shots here, obviously he's not going to be doing... He's not going to be text, you know, saying to Brandon, nice, bro, you're going to kill it, man. So does this at all, like, revise in your brain what might have happened or, like, when you might have heard the shots? Does this refresh anything for you? It doesn't make sense. Okay. No. But you're you're pretty confident that you heard the shots before you said, okay, I'm going to go open the door. It was between here and here. And his our last. text messages were back to back. Did it sound like distant or did it sound really close? Did it sound it like, sounded close. Like 
It was two of them, pretty like back to back. It sounded like they were either on the street or like on the block over, but they were close. It didn't sound like it was distant. When you heard the shots, did you think, oh, that that could be Courtney? Or did it not even cross your mind? It didn't cross my mind because around that time, like there was just a lot of things going on in the neighborhood. So we had heard gunshots before, you know, and it was, it wasn't something that was like out of the ordinary. We kept asking Alma to replay this moment. Was she really sure about her timing? Alma's in her bedroom with her roommate. There's music on her headphones. And then they hear gunshots. How many shots? Two. And did you all like make eye contact or acknowledge that you had both just heard shots? Or was it just so commonplace that you wouldn't even have a reaction really? Well, I had my headphones on, so I took them on off and she's like, did you hear that? And I said, yeah, but I wasn't sure. So after that, she said that she was going to the store. I told her that she should wait because we didn't know what was going on. She went to Walgreens. Did she see anything? Not on her way there. um, When she was on her way back from the store, she said that there were police officers with flashlights looking up and down the street like they were looking for something. So I I couldn't understand why it took almost so long to speak up about this. I specifically asked her after Courtney died more than once if she had heard any shots. I was pissed off. And I know I, I almost positive I asked, did you hear anything? But I never recalled you saying anything like that. So I was like, when you said it, I was like, because we were, when we were piecing together the timeline, we, we had to figure that somebody else would have had to have heard something. So that's why that question, I posed that to you. And so I was like, okay, because that was like an important piece of information. Just at the time, I wasn't sure. I felt like I had to be sure. Even if Alma wasn't sure, she still should have told me something. And she didn't even tell the detectives when they came to her house that morning. She said no one even asked her about the shots. Instead, they asked her about the password to Courtney's phone. Password to his phone. I told him he has an iPhone. It's his fingerprint. He didn't have a password? (laughs) No, it's his fingerprint. By the time that we got the phone back, the phone's unlocked, so they probably had to take his finger and Mm -hmm. unlock his phone. The police got into Courtney's phone just hours after he died. They put in their report that Courtney's passcode was his birthday. Now, I know that couldn't be true because he had way too many girlfriends to do something like that. When the police talked to Alma, they wanted to see her phone, too. And they just looked at it. And they said it wasn't going to be much help. And they just handed me back my phone. How long did they have your phone for? Maybe like 30 seconds. Just opened it and he looked up and down. And they never asked you if you heard anything or they didn't consider no. you a witness? No. After that, they just gave me my their business card. And they said that they were going to call me to speak with me. And after that, I never heard from them. There's just a few lines in Courtney's file about the police talking to Alma. But then there's another report about one of Alma's ex-boyfriends. His name was Kevin, but he also went by Hawk. They all worked together. Alma and Courtney actually met for the first time at a birthday party for Hawk. Alma said Hawk, Kevin, tried to start a fight with Courtney that night. Um, Courtney said something to me. Like, you know, we were at a birthday party. People were having drinks. Um, He said something to me. Him and I laughed it off. Kevin overheard. And the next thing you know, there was like an exchange of words. And then Kevin tried to fight Courtney. Okay. I think he was just jealous of how Courtney was as a person and how other people reacted to him. I think that was really it. It wasn't anything else. Someone told the police after Courtney died, Hawk posted, then deleted a message on Facebook saying, Sorry, Courtney. You can take that different ways. But then, three of Courtney's friends remember another message she posted on Snapchat, saying something like, Lord, forgive me. Because would he have even known that Courtney was en route to your place that morning? No. That day after I came back from the hospital, he came to my house and he asked me what Courtney was doing on his way to my house. So he was surprised to learn that you two were seeing each other? I don't think... I mean, no one knows until now. And, again, you didn't feel like he could be involved in this in some way? No. 
like no chance or like probably probably not since Courtney died I've been asking Alma about her other ex-boyfriends she told me one was in prison we looked it up he was in for attempted murder another ex was just getting out of jail when Courtney was killed but all the way in New Jersey we asked Alma if she had any suspicions of who killed Courtney. No, not who might have done it. I know that, um, like, down the street from where I live, there's a house that um, this guy, like, he's, you know, he's a gang member. He, he lives there. We ended up getting into the conversation of what happened to Courtney, and he told me, he's like, it wasn't anyone from this neighborhood. He's like, I think someone mistook him for someone else. Wait a goddamn minute. Alma talked to this guy, and he knows something about what happened to my son? And she never told me this either? Oh, my God, I had to hold my tongue, y'all. When did you have the conversation with the guy who lives in that house about what he said happened? Um, it was, I don't remember the exact date. It was, like, two days after I got punched in the face. So like my eye was a little swollen and I had like a hoodie on. And um, when I was walking down the street, he saw me with like my eyes swollen. And um, he asked me, you know, who hit me. You said you got punched in the face or you looked like you got? No, I got punched in the face. Do you mind telling us what happened? Alma looked over at me. Bill and Allison looked at me too. I hadn't told them about this. The punching incident. It happened at my place a couple of days after Courtney died. Uh, I was at Chappelle's house uh, talking to someone there. And what I happened? I got punched in the face. What? Who? Chappelle, can you enlighten us? It's Courtney's cousin. This was honestly pretty embarrassing for me because when I invited Alma to my house, I wanted her to feel comfortable. But then this crazy cousin of Courtney's physically attacked Alma. We were just talking. They asked me what happened that day. I told them exactly what I remembered. And then in the middle of the conversation, they said, you killed my cousin, and they punched me in the face. Why did the person accuse you of that? I don't know. That's just what he said. Everybody was trying to find out what happened to Courtney. and. Everybody was trying to lay blame somewhere because it just didn't make sense. My family was like, he shouldn't be over in that neighborhood. That's, that's a Hispanic neighborhood. Why is he over there? He's with that girl. You know, that's how they felt. This is why things were strained between me and Alma since Courtney died. Why would she cooperate with us after I let her get punched in the face? But let's get back to Alma's neighbor, the guy who seemed to know something. Do you know his name? I don't. I just... Do you know I what know he looks he, like? Yeah, he's uh, shorter than myself. He has really long hair, like down past his waist. And he has a few tattoos. Um, but he's always walking around the neighborhood. The day after Courtney was shot, he said that his house was raided. By whom? By the police. They came in searching his house. I never seen anything about this guy in the police file. No raid, no nothing. But I had a vague recollection of him too. I remember like after the shooting when we were all in Belmont Cragen passing our reward flyers. I do remember a man with long black hair standing on his deck talking on his cell phone. Just then a bunch of kids came out on bikes to see what we were doing as though he sent them over or something. It felt strange. But there was so much going on at the time, I just fouled it away. Thank you so much again you, for all your time. Yeah, this was a lot of time. This was like therapy. <laughs> um, no, yeah, probably um, never talked about it, right? We said goodbye to Alma and headed back into the cold. The next day, my Aunt Kim came over. Kim and I were raised like sisters because we're so close in age. I need to see the report that the police took on her. 
I told her all the details of our interview with Alma. I done reread this stuff a million one time. I went over her testimony. I told Kim about Alma hearing shots after all, the problems with her timeline, and this new story about the guy with the long hair. All the stuff the police had missed. They barely asked her anything when they talked to her hours after Courtney died. They didn't speak to her roommate either. They just never followed up. When you when you get somebody and you interviewing them, you still asking them same question just to see if it, it lands up. You want to know what you heard. Did you see anybody running? How many shots? None of that stuff was asked. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily to die for is available now listen for free on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts are you ready to fight back against crime hi guys nancy grace here host of podcast crime stories with nancy grace i've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. 
you can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Police hadn't given me any updates, hadn't told me what they thought happened to Courtney. But it turns out Nurse Hawkins from the ER said police told her that very night Courtney came in what they thought happened. A carjacking. They think someone had tried to carjack him. He sped away. They shot into the car. He drove to the police station and asked for help. Said that he had got shot and that's when they called the paramedics. This whole thing is just gets stranger and stranger by the minute. I have theories in my head. Who knows? But somebody covering for somebody. So when Alma told us that this long hair guy down the street said police raided his house the day after Courtney died, we needed to know more. We looked, but we couldn't find a record of the raid. But we did find lots of other times police were sent to this house, including for shots fired. Police found shell casings and everything. So a few weeks after our interview with Alma, Allison and Bill took a team to Belmont Cragen to find this guy. So I'm going to pull up to the church and then we can look at see if there are any skid marks. Five dollar haircut. Yeah, that's very close to where, it's like right behind where Courtney would have potentially been shot. Like, you know on the opposite side of the church. $5 haircut is so cheap. We walked up to the gate of his house. Sure enough, this guy was standing on his second floor deck and he had long hair, just like Alma described. We called to him. We didn't record because we didn't want to scare him off. He wouldn't come down. He wouldn't give us his name or phone number, but he talked to us from the deck. He said he didn't remember Courtney's shooting, but he did remember that he was asleep that particular night, March 4th, 2016, two years before. Then he told us it was a black guy who got shot. When we asked if he had any trouble with police in the area, he said he couldn't talk about that because he works with them, providing janitorial services. He wished us luck. He said we were doing a good thing for the family. We dug around and got his arrest records. His rap sheet is long. Once, he was arrested for driving a car in an armed robbery, but most of the cases against him have been dropped in court. Hi, how's it going? I'm a few weeks later, Alma put us in touch with her former roommate, Brianna, the one she'd been living with when Courtney was killed. I met up with her at a Dunkin' Donuts. She remembers the night when Courtney was shot, but says she was the one who heard the shots, not Alma. Um, so when I heard it, I went up to her and I had asked her if she had heard anything. And she let me know that she was in a room. She had her headphones on, so she couldn't hear anything. So Their stories um, didn't fully line up. But Brianna also remembered that guy who lived a few doors he, down. Um, uh, he had like longer hair, um, black hair, and he, um, he had a couple tattoos. Do you know if he ever tried to talk to Alma? Just, um, they would pass by through the neighborhood, and it was just a high and by as far as I know of. At the time of the shooting, in 2016, Brianna was dating Christian Hernandez, the guy who co-signed for Courtney's BMW. So a few days after I talked to Brianna, Shapurl and I talked to Christian. He came over to Shapurl's place with his new girlfriend and their baby. <laughs> How old? Six months. Oh, wow. Congratulations. <laughs> Boy, girl? Okay. I have a little boy, too. He's 19 months old. 
We settled in around the dining room table and started talking. Christian said that right after Courtney died at a candlelight vigil, Alma told him she had heard shots. She told me when Abra was all outside right here with the candles. And I asked her, did you tell Chaparral? She said yes. But she did not tell Chaparral. And I talked to five of Courtney's other friends who'd been in touch with Alma in the days following. Alma didn't tell them about hearing shots either. Then, Christian's girlfriend nudged him. She'd been quiet most of the interview, but it was clear she wanted him to tell us something. He seemed tentative, like he didn't want to say. <laughs> I had something to say. It was about Alma and something she posted to Facebook the same night I met with Brianna. Where are you going to tell them that the day she called you, that he went on Facebook and he seen, I mean, he showed it to me, Alma put an emoji with like the zipper face. And like that, I don't know what to call, but it's doing this. And I told her, I'm like, well, that's weird. Christian's girlfriend made a sign with her hands, that thing Courtney always did in photos. Alma had posted two emojis, the rock on emoji and the zipper face. Then she stopped responding to Chaparral's text messages. Her lips were zipped. If Alma wasn't talking, we need to find someone who would. So a couple of weeks later, we met up with a World Ventures guy named June. He's a heavyset guy with a fuzzy beard, about 40 years old. He's a DJ, he works at a tire shop, and he also has a cigar company. He's always talking about it on Facebook. I just want to know who's ready for a rooftop event. It's going to be exclusive. We're going to have a hand roller. He's going to host the show, tell us what's in the tobacco what the tobacco is worth, how to savor it, how to roll it. June knows a lot of people. I got an ear to the streets. I, I talk to everybody. I treat everybody with the utmost respect. So people respect me and they'll help me whatever way they can. June wouldn't say too much about his past with gangs, but he did say this. In Chicago, if you're not, you're labeled as one. And majority of the time, you have no choice. It's by where you live or by who your family is, and you have no choice but to be what it is. June came with us the first time we went around the neighborhood, a couple of days after Courtney died. So when I found out what had happened, the first thing I did was reach out to the local gangbangers. Um, none of them took admittance to it. it. They won't lie to me. So if something did happen, they would tell me the truth. And I found out in the past maybe about three other murders, and I found out who it was within a week or two weeks of it happening. And I've had gang members tell me, oh, this guy did it, such and such did it, because they know the innocent should have never gotten touched. After asking around, June got a lead that Courtney's murder might have been a case of mistaken identity. He said he'd heard the Four Corner Hustlers was beefing with another gang in the neighborhood. They had said there was some Hispanic guys running around in uh, that neighborhood, so they had claimed there was a possibility that maybe they had confused them for somebody else. So I had to follow that lead as well. And what did you find out? It was false. Hmm. Before we left, June told us a bunch of rumors he heard about Courtney's murder. He heard that Courtney was killed while buying weed. He heard the police did it, and that's why the camera supposedly didn't work by Alma's house. But we needed facts, and we needed witnesses. And soon, we were going to find them. Everybody, somebody's every day. Nobody's nothing. Somebody is a co-production of The Invisible Institute, The Intercept, Topic Studios, and iHeartRadio in association with Tenderfoot TV. I'm Shapiro Wells. This podcast is produced by Allison Flowers and Bill Healy. Sarah Geis is our story editor. Ellen Glover is our associate producer. For The Invisible Institute, Jamie Calvin is executive producer. For Topic Studios... Maria Zuckerman, Christy Gressman, and Letal Malad are executive producers. Special thanks to Lizzie Jacobs. For The Intercept, Roger Hodge, deputy editor, is supervising producer. Sound design by Carl Scott and Bart Warshaw. Michael Rayfield is our mix engineer. Our theme song, 
Everybody's Something is by Chance the Rapper. Original music for the podcast by Nate Fox of The Social Experiment and Eric Butler. Additional reporting by Sam Stecklow, Annie Wynn, Kahari Blackburn, Rajiv Sinclair, Henry Adams, Matilda Voyat, Dana Brozos Kelleher, Francis McDonald, Diana Akmajian, Maddie Anderson, Andrew Fan, and Erissa Apentaku. Translation support by Benny Hernandez Ocampo and Emma Perez. Fact checking by Noel Argeni. Special thanks to Chris Rasmussen, Bennett Epstein, Matt Topic, David Brelo, and Julie Wolf. We want to hear from you. Email us at info at somebodypodcast.com or leave us a voicemail at 773-270-0121. To learn more about this case and for links to additional materials, go to our show page at somebodypodcast.com. You can also find a list of everyone we want to thank there. So many people helped us along the way. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.